So open your Bibles. You can open your Bibles to First Peter. First Peter. My name is Taylor. If you've never met me before, I am one of the pastors here on the team, and uh, we're starting a brand new series today called Sacred Rhythms. And I have had so many people say, I have no clue what this series is about. And that is the point. Because neither do I. But I think it might be a good one. Um, in all honesty, this, this series I believe is going to be imp- an important one. Uh, for the season of our church. But not just the season of our church. For you as an individual and as you, as you integrate into community. But also in light of the, just the nature of the world that we live in. It is crucial that we understand God's intent for the sacred. Now I want to define that word. It's a person or place or activity or anything that is associated with or dedicated to the divine. Anything dedicated to the divine whose primary purpose is intrinsically connected to God and his purposes. So when you think of sacred, sometimes it's untouchable. That's what comes to our mind. But it's really anything whose primary purpose is connected to God and his purposes. Therefore, if you are connected to God's purpose, then you, your life and your breath are sacred. I want to say this. For us to fully participate in the sacred, it requires a deep awareness of our approach to it. Not just an awareness of what we're approaching, but an awareness internally for how we are approaching. Because in our culture today, and I don't want to rage against culture, I want to be honest, it's our culture and in the church, in Christianity. It's me and it's you. But in our culture today, we have often approached as common things that God defines as sacred and important and holy. So when it comes to church attendance, we've treated it as trite, optional, secondary to other things in our world. And God's like, no, 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 this is a sacred rhythm. Church, holiness, tithing, generosity, serving others, loving the poor, human life, breath, scripture, God's presence, worship, prayer. These are sacred. Everybody say sacred. They are not common, but oftentimes we've treated the sacred as common, not with intention to say this doesn't matter, but to simply just approach it as we would anything else. Any, any, any Nintendo people, old school Nintendo people? Yeah. I'm, I'm an old school video game guy. I accumulate about an hour's worth of video game playing per year. So I'm not like, I'm not big on it, but I've got out in my garage, I've got, I've got kind of an office and I've got all these old school games. I, I, I'm a big uh, NES guy, a Super Nintendo, anything, than, anything newer than the Nintendo 64, in my mind, is just too new. Okay, so all you Xbox, PS7 people, that's not my jam. But if you want to throw down on some Mario Kart, Nintendo 64, some GoldenEye uh, 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 in the temple, any, any GoldenEye people? The RCP3, RCP90, is that what it's called? In the temple, I, can, I, I know exactly where to hide out, where to get the body armor, and I'm going to take you out. 
But I'm a, I'm an old yeah pong. But I'm an old school games guy. I got a I got a Nintendo 64. I got the Super. I got the NES. I got the Game Boy. I've got the Game Gear. Some of you don't even know what that is. A Sega Genesis. I even have an Atari. Now I don't want you to for one second think that I am old enough to have been grown up and raised on an Atari. I just inherited one from my grandpa, and so I am not old enough to have played Atari like when it was fresh, but I have one and it's cool. So a while ago, I, I, I brought my kids out and I wanted to teach them to play. And so we put, we put in a game and my daughter, she's eight and she's in second grade. She's getting to the point where she understands it. She just doesn't care. She doesn't care about video games. So she goes inside. I've got Lennon and Jude. Lennon's three and Jude's five. This is a while ago, but I, I give them each a controller. Lennon's just pushing the buttons thinking that she's doing something and she's excited about it. Jude, however, is frustrated that what he's doing is not correlating with what's happening on the screen. So he gets distracted and starts to go through and if you've ever been out to my garage and seen all of these things, you know that I, I care about this stuff. I've got the Atari in the box. I've got, I've got this stuff. I mean, it's laid out perfectly. I've got these games on display, and I've got, I've got all these things. And Jude just starts terrorizing the place. I'm like, Jude, Jude, stop. Stop, dude. And, and he's just like, like I want to teach you to play video games. And he's not ready, and it's funny because his lack of understanding of what I see as important and sacred is causing him to misapproach what is out there. His lack of understanding of the importance and the value of these old video games and how much they would go for on eBay is causing him to approach improperly these things that he does not know are sacred. To him, they are common. To him, they are toys. To him, they are just boxes. To him, they are just things. But to me, they are sacred. If we are not careful, fam, we will treat what is sacred as common and even along with the world as profane, what God calls sacred. And until we grasp the sacred value of what the world would call common or profane, we will struggle to fully participate in what God has designed for us in the kingdom life. Now, I'm not saying that you can earn your way in. Friends, we need to make that 100% clear. Jesus made a way for you to be a full participant in the kingdom. It is not your acts. It is not what you can do. It is not how you can earn. It's not how good you can worship. It's not how good you can live. It is what Jesus did on your behalf when you could not yourself so that you can enter in and... When we enter in, we still cannot separate God's presence from his priorities. And he still has priorities. He still has standards. He still has an upward call. So as much as we've been made right, God wants to continue to make us right on a daily basis. This is our sanctification. So we need to understand what is sacred, what God calls sacred, what God calls holy, so that in 2023, we can live the way that God would ask us to live and experience the life that he wants for us. So with that, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 13, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. <clears throat> I apologize for the raspiness in my voice. I drank too much coffee this morning. Therefore, everyone say therefore. Now this is referring to in the first half of the chapter, 
uh, Peter would lay out the, the greatest gift, uh, the greatest miracle of, of all is the, save, the saved soul, the salvation of our souls. And he's laying out this hope that we have in Jesus. And he gets to this point in verse 13. He says, therefore, with this in mind, with minds that are fully alert and sober, set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires. Now, he's not holding any punches. He's not trying to dance around. Do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. I want to read one other scripture that you're probably familiar with if you've been around at all. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. You can write it down. You don't need to turn there. It says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to speak on the next, for the next few minutes on this idea, the call to holiness. And I know you're really excited to hear me talk about holiness, so would you bow your heads, would you close your eyes, and would you perhaps put your hand on your heart or just put your hands out like you want to you receive an impartation from, from God today that you would leave with an upward call toward God himself. God, we thank you that you have called us, but you have not called us to be an end in and of ourselves, but actually to follow the one who is. And so God, we don't just respond with a desire to will ourselves into doing this thing. But instead, God, we respond today knowing that you've made a way. And when we cannot, thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy, which is new every single day. God, we look to you today. and Would you charge us with this call? In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. So I want to make, as we get into this series today, I want to make two primary claims this morning that if all you leave with today is this thought right here, you will have enough. In fact, some of you will get this and you might say, I'm good. And you get up and you walk out and you get, you get an early seat at brunch. And I commend you for that. If all you get is this, this is the most important thing that you'll hear today. Number one, God is holy. God is holy. God is holy, not me. As great as I, at times, can try to be, and even on my best day, I am not. And frankly, I know that I'm in good company because neither are you. But God is. In fact, fact, what we got to be careful is God does not set his holiness up against us as if he's trying to beat a standard. He just is. God throughout scripture would say things like, I am that I am. I just am. I don't need anything else to compare it to. I just am. I is. I be. I am holy. Holiness is at the core of my being. This is who God is. God is holy. But number two, not equally, but close to as important. God has called you and me to be holy. 
So God, who is the only one who truly at the core of his being is holy, has called you and I to be holy. This is our sacred rhythm, our sacred call. But our problem today is that we, within and without the church, inside and outside, have completely mishandled the concept of holiness. And what we've done is we've kept it ambiguous or unattainable. Or even worse, we've just chalked it up to legalism. Oh, you're just holier than thou. And in fact, many of us probably already in our minds, we hear the idea of holiness and we go straight to what kind of legalism are they going to hold over me? Now, perhaps that's because of what you grew up in, what you've seen. And God is like, yo, 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 remember, I didn't pin this against anything. This is me. And this is what I've called you to. So whether you and I like it or not, whether people have represented this properly or improperly has nothing to do with the fact that before the foundations of the world, God was holy and that God has invited you and me to be holy. This is our call, but we've missed it, right? I remember a conversation a while back that I had with a person. It's funny because they their ministry, and we're, we're having this conversation about some of the things that are happening in their denomination and, and the happening in the church at large and, and just kind of in culture, and there's some, some really things that we're just talking about. We're having this conversation, and, and this person says, you know, I just wish we could stop talking about holiness and morals and just love people. Now, no, 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 Here, here's the deal. Let, let me, I don't want to throw shade. I, I just want to be clear. I understand and share some of the sentiment. Because truthfully, if we're honest about the church's history, there have been many times, if not more often than not, where the church has been known for how self-righteous it is and not for how it loves. And Jesus did say, this is how they'll know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. But he never, in his call for us to love, said, and do so at the compromise of your holiness. The only way, and it's funny, because here's the thing. This person, as they're saying this, proved their own point. The reason that we need holiness is because we need love. And the only way that love survives, especially today in the dark times that we're living in, is when it is guarded and upheld by a spirit of holiness. In fact, an unholy love is actually hate disguised as love and does so much more invasive damage than anyone could ever imagine because it parades itself as something that it cannot contain in and of itself. The only way love survives is when it is upheld by holiness. Because without holiness, there is no love. The idea and word of love, I, I think we could all agree, I don't want to diminish it for a second, is used over 600 times in scripture. I think we could all say that's a significant theme in scripture. And Paul would say, at the end of the day, man, there's three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is? And then in John 3.16, for God so, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? So we get this, and I don't even want to diminish it. I want to uphold that, okay? Because love is a significant theme used over 600 times in Scripture through the Old and New Testament. The word holy or holiness, however, is used over 900 times. In describing God, 
his attributes, or what he's called his people and his church to. And this is the fascinating thing. What we have done in our culture is we've pinned love and holiness against each other. You get one or the other. You get grace or you get truth. You get love or you get holiness, but you can't have both. And friends, you cannot have holiness without love and you cannot have love without holiness. They are inseparable. And the reason that I want to talk about holiness is because we live in a culture that celebrates love. You might say, no, we live in a culture that celebrates hate. No, it celebrates love. Our culture loves love. And yet it is almost entirely void of it. Because it has redefined love in its own image, in its own terms. And the church and culture outside the church has stripped love of its meaning and manipulated it to mean something completely different. And now what's so fascinating is in order to love according to the culture's standard, we actually have to be unholy to do it. So to love according to, and I'm, again, I gotta be careful because I'm not trying to just be like, all those guys out there, bad. Us in here, good. I'm not trying to do that. But the truth is, is the world, we've been doing this for centuries, fam. It's like, I don't know, I keep saying fam. I'm not in youth ministry anymore. Fam, it's cool. I'm cool. I said throw shade. Is that a saying that people say anymore? I'm not, I'm not finna throw shade. I'm just trying to, you know. So, but... I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. But we actually have to deny holiness in order to show love according to the standard that the world gives. And so for me to love means actually to deny God, to deny his standard, or, or even worse, to I want to love God and I want this truth, so what am I going to do? I'm going to recreate God in an image that I see fit so that it doesn't have to live in contrast with culture. And what God would say is, yo, you are called to love and you are called to be holy. You cannot separate them. You cannot compromise. You cannot minimize sin. You cannot ignore scripture or my standard. You cannot un affirm ungodly things as godly and think that you're going to get away with it. Why is holiness important? Because love is important. And the only way that love survives in an unholy world is when it is protected by a holiness that is motivated and patterned after a loving and holy God. God is not loving and not holy. God is loving and he's holy. God is holy and he's loving. They are inseparable. I hope that you are getting my point today. God is love and God is holy. And if we separate the two, we miss out on both. So what do we do? I'm gonna give you the perfect recipe for how to be holy today and you're gonna walk out holy. What do we do? I'm gonna give you a few points and then we'll close here in just a short time. Number one, you got to cut off and consecrate. Cut off and consecrate. The word holiness in the Old Testament, the primary word is the word kadesh. In the New Testament, the primary word is hagios. 
And these two words define the same kind of thing, which is a cutting off and separation. And it, the word simply means to be dedicated or in being cut off, consecrated to the service of God. So raise your hand if you want to live a holy life patterned after God, right? If you didn't raise your hand, your neighbor noticed and they're going to avoid you now. <laughs> so if you just raise your hand, you, you just acknowledge, I want to be holy. This is the beginning. This is, let me give you the simplest step. The start, how do you become holy? You say to God, God, I am unholy, but I want to be holy like you're holy. That's it. There's, there's no crazy, there's no like crazy recipe. God, make me holy as you are. Because laced into that sentence right there is an acknowledgement that it's not you that's holy, but that you actually need help outside of yourself to be holy. And the only way that you can do it is by looking to the one who is holy. God isn't like, holiness isn't a character, like, a, 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 like I am a nice guy, but God is not holy like I am nice. Because sometimes I'm not nice. Depending on where I'm driving or, you know, things, like, I, I am nice at, no, but holiness is at the core of God's being. So by acknowledging God, I want to be like you, I am now pat putting myself under and patterning myself after the one who's already shown me how to do it. It is God. And here's what he's going to do, is when you say, God, I want to be holy, God responds to you and he says this, are you sure? Because I want your future. And I want your plans. And I want all of your time. I want your marriage. I want every relationship in your life. I want your money. I want your time. I want your phone. I want your sexuality. I want your bedroom. And I want your basement. I want your backyard and your front yard. I want your car. I want your spending habits. I want your thoughts. I want your perspective. The whole of your life is mine. You want to be holy? I get your life. That's it. And this is what God says. I want your Sunday and I want your Fridays. I want your weekends. I want your school day. I want your lunchtime. I want your third period. And I want your bedtime too. I want you in the middle of the night and in the middle of the day. I want your thoughts in here. I want your meditations in here. I want your interactions out here. I want your life. Friends, God is not interested so much in your Sundays as he is the entire whole of your being. He made a way when he sent Jesus to die that you would now have life. And he says, it is your reasonable service to give the entirety of your existence to me. You're created for me. You're created by me. And you only live because I give you breath. Therefore, give it back to me. I don't want your Sundays, I want your life. And Paul would say, brothers and sisters, in view of what God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What, what does he say? This is your reasonable service. It's not extreme. We look at it like it's sacrifice. No, it's reasonable. In comparison to what God did in sending Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins, he took our place. Wow. The least 
The average that we can do is give the entirety of our lives, our past, present, and future, every breath that we have to God. God wants all of you. It is not a, and friends, I have these interactions often. I one last week, someone came to the church for the first time. I don't know if they'll be back today, they, they, or first time in a while. And they said, this is what I needed. I said, no, what you didn't need was a Sunday. What you need is to find yourself back in the place where God's presence is. That he goes with you, fam. Fam. Friend. Gosh. What is happening? I, I hurt my back earlier this week, and I think it just threw off my levels. I don't know. <laughs> That's a whole nother story, fam. Um, but it's funny because oftentimes what we think is that we just need, you ever gotten in an argument with a friend or your spouse, and what you want is to just fix it? <laughs> and so you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I've never, I mean, I've never done this, but I know people who have, where they've said, I'm, I'm sorry, can we just go back? And, and it's like, no, 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 I don't want sorry. I want this to be done. I want this attitude done. I want this behavior done. I want this habit done. I want you to put your shoes away every time. I want you to, I don't, I don't need your sorry. I need something to shift internally. So what do we do? We cut off and we consecrate. So we acknowledge to God, God, make me holy. And friends, this is the beginning of a process that you will never finish until the day you die. So just get used to the fact that you don't have it figured out yet. But it must begin and rebegin daily with the saying to God, God, make me like you. Holy Spirit, turn me into your image. Form me. Conform me, shift my heart, shift my desires, make me new, make me holy as you're holy. But number two is we have to stay alert and sober. Stay alert and sober. Here's what he says, with minds that are fully alert and fully sober, minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope. Now those two words, alert and sober, mean to be suited up and to be anticipatory or anticipating. What we have to do is that we have to be suited up. Paul would use the language of put on the full armor of God, right? That you have a helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and shoes of peace and the sort of the spirit, which is the word of God and the shield of faith. And, and um, he's, he put on these things. And you got to be suited up, but you also got to be aware. Uh, recently, I, I did this last summer, in, during the summer, I did a Sunrise wedding for a beautiful couple. And I'm going to say a couple things. They're not here yet. They're probably going to be here second service, so I can say things with honesty. I didn't anticipate what I was signing up for. Like, I love these guys, but not that much. You know what I mean? Because um, it was a sunrise wedding. I'm going to say the top of Mount Rainier, but exaggerate a little bit, but way up there. A th like a three-something mile hike uphill. At, at starting at like 2.30 in the morning. Okay, so I get, I get the, you know, the outfit and everything, and I was wearing boots less good than these. And just like the regular shoes that I'll wear sometimes to church or in the office or whatever, they're just regular, like $40 boots, right? And so I'm wearing these, and I'm just not thinking. 
I'm in the car, I'm driving there, get to the place at 2 a.m. I got 38 minutes of sleep. Woke up, slammed some coffee down. We drive for an hour, get to the base of the hike, and we start climbing. And it's 3 a.m., maybe 3.30 when we start climbing to get up to the top of this plateau where we can do the sunrise wedding. And by the time we were about two-thirds of the way up, I'm starting to feel the sores on the back of one heel and on the front of the other foot, which is a perfect recipe because when you're going down, it's hurting your toes, and when you're going up, it's hurting your other heel. And so by the time we get up, I'm already sore, and I'm taking my shoes off. The guy trades me, one of the guys, the guy who was taking pictures, trades me socks because he knows that it hurt. Yeah, I just got some gross faces like, are you serious? (laughs) Yes. This really happened. It's a true story. Gives me his socks. Gives me his socks. By the time, get this, by the time we're to the bottom getting to the parking lot, I'm stepping like this because I was in so much pain all the way. And people are looking, you are the wrong shoes, bro. I'm like, yeah, I did. (laughs) And it's funny because I had psyched myself up to lose the sleep, but I'd missed out on the opportunity to be ready with everything that I would need to endure the journey. What we need to do is we need to stay aware. And friends, this is an external at an existential kind of level with what we're seeing in our culture, but I don't want to be alarmist because it is also, if not even more potent, as the enemy tries to get into here and into here in you personally. And it happens in the middle of the night and in the middle of the day happens with little temptations, and it gets to the point where it's just getting under there, trying to take you out. And some of us were unaware. Some of us were unprepared. What we need to do in, in today's day, it's always been true, but a reminder today is that you and I stay aware and stay, what does the word say? It says stay sober, other, other scriptures say, uh, be sober and vigilant. Your enemy roams around like a roaring lion, looking for whom he may devour. He's roaming around. He's looking for you. He's waiting, waiting to catch you off guard, waiting for you to think that you've finally gotten victory. Therefore, you don't ever have to try again. And he's like, I'm coming to knock on your door again. So we got to stay aware. But in our awareness, stay hopeful. This is the key. Because he says, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Set your hope. So here's the deal. In your awareness, fear can creep in. Fear can, and anxiety can start to try and dictate how you see the future. And God is saying, hey, be aware, but remember who's got the victory, buddy. Fam, remember who's, who's your king. Remember who's making a way for you. Remember who's on the inside of you. So yeah, be aware, be sober, be vigilant, watch out, be suited up, be ready for battle, but know who the king is that's leading you into battle. It is Jesus Christ. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's victorious. He reigns. He's good. He's for you, and he's not leaving you hanging. Therefore, you are simultaneously aware and on guard and confident. Knowing where your hope lies. We got to be suited up and ready, but with a hope and a confidence that Jesus is already on our side and winning the battle. Number three, keep conforming. You got to keep conforming. So not only do you stay alert and sober, but you got to keep conforming. As obedient children, it says, do not conform 
to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. Do not conform to the evil desires, but instead, as obedient children, conform. So there's two types of desires that I want to point out. There's desires from ignorance and desires from obedience. And desires from ignorance might be clear, but what, what I'm saying is it, it draws on the old you. Like the old you is like when you drive by that certain place, it, it awakens something in you. When you see that certain person, it awakens something in you. When you go past that certain channel, it awakens something in you. These are what you'd call desires from ignorance. But then there's desires from obedience. And desires from obedience are almost never fun. Like they're never fun. Like sometimes God will ask you to do things and you don't feel like it. This is why it is so important to bypass sometimes your feelings and do what you know. Because what you know is way better than what you feel. And what you feel is fleeting and it will pass. And if you build your life and make your choices and spend your money... And go into your relationships based on what you feel. People will laugh at you because of how dumb your choices are. The hard thing about obedience and desires from obedience and obedience to the Spirit is that it requires, as you obey the Spirit, to disobey your flesh. So intrinsic to every obedience to the Spirit is a disobedience to your flesh. Okay? And some of us, we've got it twisted. We're disobeying the spirit and simultaneously obeying our flesh to the point where it's got grooves. And the easiest thing is to just settle into those. Every time the flesh calls, we say yes. And then the spirit's call gets muddled in, oh, I, don't, I don't know, I don't, I, I'm already on my course, I've already made my decision Sometimes our prayer needs to just simply be, God, I want to keep sleeping. I want to get up. I want to watch porn, but I'm going to get up and pray. I mean, let's be real. Those desires, they're knocking. Sin, crouch, crouches at your door. It's knocking, constantly saying, hey, say yes to me. And what we do in those moments is we say, no, flesh, I will disobey you. I've got a better call that I don't want to say yes to. I want, and here's the thing about sin, most often it feels really nice, feels good, and it pulls on a desire that is in you. And sometimes the, the obedience to the spirit pulls on a desire that you don't know in your flesh until on the other end of your obedience to it that you see the reason that you said yes to it. And I can't tell you how many times I'm going to say two things that I've gotten this wrong. Raise your hand if you ever gotten this one wrong. A lot less hands. You guys are really great Christians and I'm just in great company today. Fam. But I've gotten this wrong, but I can tell you I've never regretted getting it right. I've never regretted saying no to my flesh and yes to the Holy Spirit. I've never regretted saying yes to the word of God, yes to the truth of God, standing on what I know and simultaneously saying, you know what? As much as my flesh right now wants me to think that this is what I need, I'm going to say no. And the moment that I say no, it's fascinating that just like when Jesus denied 
the devil three times in the wilderness and the angels rushed to him and comforted him. In the same way, man, the Holy Spirit tends to show up the moment that you say yes. He's like, all right, you knew what you needed to do and you did it. I'm here, I'm walking with you. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, I like how this feels. I, li I like saying yes to the Spirit. And what we're doing is we're reforming the grooves. And this is what reconforming is. You gotta keep conforming to the image of God, the way of God, the word of God, the voice of God. I want to keep sleeping. I want to watch porn. I want to hoard. But no, I'm going to get up. I'm going to pray. I'm going to deny my flesh. I'm going to pray in the spirit. This is why praying in the spirit is so, so crucial, so important, because it'll, it'll knock you out of this fleshly system. I want to hoard all that I have, but I'm going to tithe, and I'm going to live generously. I want to stay bitter, but I'm called to forgive. And what we're doing is we're disobeying our flesh and conforming our desires to God's way. Any 90s people grew up in the 90s church? There's this song. It goes, holiness, holiness. Anyone know it? It's what I long for. Holiness is all I need. Holiness is what, holiness is what you want from me. Uh, not from me, for me. This is the great thing. God wants holiness not just from you, but for you. But it would go on to say, so take my heart and mold it. Take my will, my mind, transform it, and take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, O oh Lord. And this is the sacred rhythm. It's God transform my mind and my heart and my will to yours, not the other way around. It's not easy but it's the sacred call, it's the sacred rhythm daily. God, I need you to conform me. I need you to make me more like you. I have a real desire that I wanna give into. And if I'm honest, many of my friends and the culture that I live immersed in says that this is virtuous and good. And this is the challenge, friends, is that more and more, sin looks like virtue to the world. This is why staying planted in the house of God, make no, I'm not going to make an apology about it. You need to show up to church weekly. Make it hard to miss church. And I'm not saying legalism. I'm saying you need it. I don't need you to show up. I show up anyways. I'm here whether I like it or not. But it's a sacred rhythm. We're going to talk about that. My parents planted that in me. Tithing, sacred rhythm. I was mowing lawns in eighth grade, making $200 a month, and I was tithing. I was working a job, barely making anything throughout Bible college, and tithing out of my tips, the cash. And it was a challenge because I didn't have enough. God provided. It was a sacred rhythm. I was showing up. It's faithful. It's a sacred rhythm. Holiness. It's a sacred rhythm. And what we're doing is saying, God, I want to be formed, meaning I got to deny me and say yes to what is countercultural, knowing that on the other side of my yes, God proves his yes. 
all of his promises, yes and amen. He's gonna prove himself faithful. He's gonna prove himself good. Therefore, my job is in response to his love, his holiness, his goodness, is to just say yes. God doesn't make sense in the natural, but in the spiritual, God, I'm gonna choose to follow you and follow your way knowing that you'll be faithful. And I'm not building this on me. I'm following you who are faithful. Number four, as we wrap up, you gotta know and remember the outcome. Romans 12, we read this at the beginning. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, your worship, your reasonable service. Do not conform then to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. What is it? His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Why do we live holy? Why does it matter? Not so you can be holier than thou, but in your pursuit of holiness, that as you continue on in it, God begins to unlock your eyes, not to change his will. You can't do anything to un or like unwill God's will. Like you can't do it. You can't screw this thing up. God's will, his purposes are going to continue whether you get on board with it or not. But when we live holy lives in response to God's holiness, living in his grace, accepting his forgiveness, walking in his righteousness and saying, God, make me more like you. As we do this, our eyes get open to see his will at work. It's not that we're making it happen. It's that we're now seeing and willing participants in it. It's not that Oh God, look what I did. It's, oh God, look what you gave me the opportunity to participate in now. I get to see this. I get to worship and participate in the transcendent. The greatest thing that I can do is worship God in the community of believers. God, look at this opportunity that you gave me to love and to live generously and to give and to serve and to show up. I thought my showing up was just showing up. No, I was doing a sacred thing. And as I did that, I got to see the will of God at work. It is no mistake that you're here today, friends. You are here to participate in the will of God. You got to remember this, that it is not you causing God's will to happen. It is by you living holy that you get to see it at work. And lastly, most important, don't do this on your own because you can't. You cannot achieve holiness by yourself. You cannot achieve victory by yourself. You cannot earn salvation. You cannot earn your righteousness. You cannot sanctify yourself and justify yourself. The only way you can do this is by understanding that you can't, by accepting the Holy Spirit's help. As you say, God, make me holy, as you're holy. Would you stand with me all over this room? You need the Holy Spirit today. Maybe today, would you just close your eyes? And uh, I know we're new to wrap up, but I think there's some people in here. I'm gonna give you a, a clear opportunity. We'll say it that way. Um, you've been living unholy. And I don't mean 
like every one of us, you know, it's like, that's me. Because by virtue of our breath, we are breathing in our sin nature. That's who we are. But I'm saying like, there's a thing that God's like, hey, I've been asking you to give that to me. You've been running from me with this, this habit, this area of your work, your business, your money, your, your relationships, your marriage, your attitudes, whatever it might be. You're saying, man, God, if I'm being honest, I've been unholy in this area. What I wanna invite you to do today is acknowledge that. And say, God, would you make me holy here? And then I'm gonna give you the opportunity as our prayer partners come to the front, as we close, to find one of them and say, you know what? And, and be open to the level that you feel comfortable in this setting. Sometimes this setting to go straight there. Some of you got some stuff. And maybe the stuff is a process of conversations with the right people to say, you know what? I'm not there, but I need to be there and I want to be there. So would you help me walk this? That is great, great step to take. But maybe it is just coming and finding one of these and saying, you know what? Can you pray with me? I've been living below the line that God's called me to live. Maybe for the rest of us, you're ready to give God the whole of your life. You know you need help. We've prayed for this before, but maybe today there's one or two of you, you're ready to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this. One of the greatest things in my prayer life and my Christian faith has been, able, been being able to pray in the Spirit when I don't know what to pray, don't know what to say, but the Holy Spirit shows up even in my kitchen or in my car. And it begins with just saying, God, would you fill me with your Spirit and empower me? Men? No, I didn't say amen. I said men. I, I'm gonna we'll say amen too. But men? Women are better at this typically. We're prideful, try and be strong. But the greatest strength that you can exhibit is saying, God, I need your Holy Spirit or I cannot do this. Cannot be the father you've called me to. Cannot be the son, the brother, the friend, the owner, the business owner, the entrepreneur. I cannot be the in fill in the blank without the power of the Holy Spirit. Cannot, I've talked to so many people even this week who didn't have fathers, who are wanting to reverse the curse that their fathers made for them. And I wanna say to you, I honor you and it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you'll be able to do what you know that he's called you to do. Would you be empowered today? Would you close your eyes?